Well, it's good to be back here. Missed you all last week. Uh, but I gather you had some fun with a group from uh, the university. Um, <clears throat> and that was a real blessing. I'm so thankful to hear that. I kind of enjoyed the message. I was driving back from Victoria last, um, whatever, Tuesday. Um, I listened to that. So I'm back on my... Uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at um, what I call attention and appreciation. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at acceptance. You know, the foundational message of the gospel is that God accepts us as we are. He just invites us to come and receive. And then he says, now you do the same. So always what we experience from God is to be given to and ministered to one another. And that's what we see through the one another of the New Testament. I felt encouraged that the, the U.S. government accepted me last Monday <laughs> in the sense of uh, I passed the test um, and I am who I said I was and got my questions right, um, but we haven't finished the process yet. seems like acceptance has some steps in it. We also looked at affection. I love this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We Brits kind of tend to prefer the holy handshake. Keep it at a distance. Let's not get too close and personal. But no, you know, it's almost just as we experience the touch of the Lord, we're invited to give that to one another. And uh, I don't know if you remember, I said the heart of the affection message is that I like you, I enjoy being with you. And uh, I got to go back to our old church last Sunday, uh, which was the three-year anniversary. It was like a birthday party, so we had some brisket. For people from Texas, that's a big thing, is brisket. Um, anyway, but it w- we were welcomed and we were, you know, people were really pleased to see us and that was nice and it felt really good. But I so missed you all. I missed being here. It felt like we've moved on. Uh, but nevertheless, to, to touch base with some people was really nice. So today, I want to look first of all at attention. Um, <clears throat> attention in our gospel reading. So you may, you may notice this is a little bit different. Mike's changing something else. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Carrie-Anne understands. Um, But I hope, we've got the scriptures inside here, I want to encourage you to to use this, take this home, make reference to it through the week, make notes through the sermon. That's not a command, that's just an invitation. Some of you may feel the Lord speaks to you and you want to make note of something, Um, but it's there for you to use. Now, attention. I've invited you all to do a little self-assessment because, remember, this is about the ways in which we feel connected both with God and with one another. And I'm encouraging you to look for ways of giving to one another and receiving from each other to feel more a part of each other. Essentially, what it means to love. Well, attention always comes out number one for me. That's not I'm this little boy who's stamping his feet, demanding attention. But I do appreciate it when people take interest in who I am and want to hang out with me, enter my world, so to speak. And, um, <clears throat> and I see in our gospel reading the pattern of how God relates to us and then encourages us to do the same. And there's something that's significant for us in this. <clears throat> In our Gospel from Luke, after this, well, after what? I guess Luke 9. I don't think he was thinking in terms of Luke 9. But after what has been described, well, what was, what was in the beginning of Luke 9, it's kind of a long chapter, but it starts with Jesus sending out 
the twelve. The sending out of the twelve followed Jesus inviting the twelve to be with him. It didn't happen immediately. You see, the first thing was that Jesus invited twelve people to come and enter his world as he would enter their world. To get to know, to build a sense of understanding, trust and relationship. Jesus' invitation to the twelve came after he and the Father descended to, decided to send the Christ to the earth. A plot hatched in the very foundations of creation that one day God would come. And so we have God sending himself and Jesus of Nazareth becoming Jesus as the Jesus the Christ, the God-man. God with mankind, men and women. And here is the pattern of God entering our world, as Eugene Peterson liked to say, he moved into the neighborhood. This is attention. This is entering our world. This is how God loves us. He doesn't just holler from afar. <clears throat> he enters into the, the muck and the struggle of the reality of human life and becomes a part of it out of his love for us. And then he invites 12 people to be a part of that same purpose and mission and sends them out. But he doesn't stop with the 12. He then gathers the 72, or the 70, depending upon which text you're reading from. But nevertheless, there was a bunch of them. And he sends them out to model the very same thing that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit modeled in eternity past would happen in the earth. And it didn't stop with the 72 because Jesus said at the end of John's Gospel, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he says, now go and make disciples. Teach others everything I've taught you. In other words, this is to be replicated, I would suggest. So we are a people on mission together. Mission is simply we've been sent. We have purpose. It's the reason God hasn't taken us you know, <coughs> into his presence fully yet in eternity because he has purpose for us. And fundamentally that purpose is to be about what Jesus was about in the ways in which he connected with and loved and expressed a message about the nature of God and his longings for humankind. And so I would suggest that what I'm teaching about these needs is fundamental to the way in which we do the mission of God. We mimic what we see in the person of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't fundamentally about telling people about appeasing an angry God who cannot be approached. Jesus lived amongst. Jesus showed incredible compassion. He touched, this is why I love affection, Jesus touched the untouchables. He literally put his hand upon them as an expression of what it means to be human and I would say godly. And everyone was invited to be a part of that life. And this is our call. This is, our call is not to tell people what's wrong with them and why they don't deserve anything, but our call is to be the incarnate word. Just as Jesus of Nazareth was, that is the model. And just as he reached out with compassion and touched the lives of people, that is our call. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, I would suggest. And what I'm sharing with you, I think, are fundamental 
<coughs> expressions of what that might look like and how we can give expression to it. He also sent them out in pairs, and I think that's important. I could get so stuck on this. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Having been a church planter on my own somewhat, I was married and Carol was with me, but essentially feeling alone at times, it's not a good thing. We do this all the time and people crash and burn. But I don't think life is meant to be lived alone and mission is not meant to be expressed alone. I think that's one of the fundamental reasons Jesus sent them out in pairs, in twos. And if you read Ecclesiastes 4, it talks about the, the power of the two and then the threefold cord, often using weddings, but it's about friendship too. And one can lift up another, one can encourage another, one can have an each other's back, one can just be there. There's strength that comes from being with others. And I think it's the basic building block of the church. And, oh, we had a great breakfast, some of the guys yesterday, uh, and I shared about this concept is, do you have another in your life? Is there another person um, and I would suggest a, another man for the men and a gal for you ladies who is a close friend who shares in the mission of God for your life and for others whom God is going to touch through your life. The prayer, Luke 10 to be or not to be. It's actually a command. If you're struggling to know how to pray, here is a prayer to pray. For a season in my life, I had a reminder on my phone that at 10.02 a.m. every day, I would get a nudge because I wanted to be faithful to Jesus' command. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. For the harvest is plentiful. What's the problem? Nobody's going. Are you going? And are you praying for others to go with you? Let's be faithful to that prayer, but let's not just pray to not answer it ourselves. There's a worker shortage. And the, the only plan that Jesus had was to enter people's worlds, get to know them, build friendship, and invite them to do the same. And that's what I'm encouraging, uh, encouraging us. <coughs> so the need for attention is about, have we got here some words, is about taking interest in people taking interest in the things that concern them, caring about them. It requires for us, <coughs> you remember when you were learning to cross the road as a child, what you had to do? The Green Cross Code, as it used to be called in Britain. But you stop, look, and listen. And in England, you have to kind of look left. No, look right, look left, look right again. Here we look left, look right, look left again, don't we? Because traffic comes from the left. That's right, isn't it? Or is that left? Confusing, huh? Ah, the joys of an overseas missionary. <laughs> That's the least of our problems. But the idea is really profound. Do we take time to stop in our lives and look and notice people? Jesus stopped and noticed people. He noticed the blind beggar. When everybody else wanted to just shut the blind beggar up because we were on mission, we've got something else more important to do. He stopped to notice the woman with the issue of blood who for all of her life had lived with the shame of that. And he was touched with compassion for her suffering. But he also knew that she'd come and asked and received. But, but you see, he wanted her to be experience more than physical healing. He wanted her to know the affirmation of daughtership. 
and connection as a human being as much as God. So we need to stop, look and listen, enter people's respective worlds. And it's a simple relational skill I would suggest, but it's challenging to many of us because we've got so much stuff going on in our lives. But do we see people? My, uh, my daughter, Hannah, who Carol's with at the moment, they're up in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and she's becoming a parent coach. And it was really interesting this week, she posted an aspect of that. And she talked about, do you see your children? It's hard when your own child talks about this. And I don't think she was getting at me, but I think too often I didn't see my children as much as I should have done. Do I see them for who they are as a unique individual with unique gifts and passions and interests and personality and makeup and struggles? Do I seek to know them deeply? This is, what, this is what a child needs. But we all need this to some extent. This is what it means to give attention to somebody, I would suggest. Taking interest. Thinking of others more than yourself. It is really not about you. I was talking with somebody this week. I don't know who that was. But anyway, Purpose Driven Life. Anyone read that? Good old Rick Warren. The first words of the book. It's not about you. For us to be on mission for the purpose of God, we've got to realize it's not about you. For us to pay attention and to notice, we've got to make it about others. We've got to take thought of other people. Because everyone has a story. I've got a little video clip. Um, This was actually made by Chick-fil-A. Well, let's take a look at this. Now, if a company that makes chicken sandwiches can do that, how much more the church of Jesus Christ? Um, we we moved. Did some of that touch you? You feel compassion? You know, these are strangers, aren't they? I don't know if they're real or not. But you see, we are moved when we are face to face with both the struggles and the joys of each other's lives. And if we take the time to ask questions and be curious and take interest and listen well, we get an opportunity to enter into those spaces of joy and suffering together. And we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And we express something fundamentally about the nature of God who doesn't fix everything immediately, but he enters into the space in order that there might be a different future. And he invites us to be a part of that. And I think Jesus' strategy, and he was strategic in his, in his calling to himself, his building relationship, and his sending people out, and then giving them instruction. And <coughs> this is what I made reference to a couple of weeks ago. First and foremost, that you would bless, bless the households that you visited. Bless the people you connected with. Do you know you've been blessed to be a blessing? The fact that you would pay attention to people sets you apart, believe you me. Everybody wants to tell their story, but few want to listen. Because for most of us, we don't make it about others, it's about us. So the very fact that you would take thought of and enter in and care means that you are blessing. And that's what we're invited to do. We bring blessing with us. We... You know, this idea of shalom, of peace, praying peace. This is well-being. This is more than just a a kind of a peaceful feeling. This is that every aspect of our lives would be well-rounded and balanced. 
And that's, we're invited to be people of peace and look for others with whom our spirit connects because the, the spirit of peace is at work in that person and there's an openness and to expect that and be looking for that. And then he says, eat with them. Well, what's that? It's not very spiritual, is it, Lord? It's very spiritual. And it's, an, it's around the dinner table and the meal table that we get to ask questions and to look into each other's eyes and get to his story and to express care and compassion. But we live in a culture that struggles to eat with one another and get around a table with our own family, never mind strangers and others. That's, this is the reality. To be called on mission means we break patterns of the culture we live in sometimes and we live a kingdom culture. And that's not to say there's a certain way of doing that, but we're looking for opportunities. And he says, then heal the sick. So it's in the moment of engagement and understanding we realize the needs of people. Attention is the gateway need to very often the other needs and the realities of what people are dealing with and struggling with. And not only do we bring peace, but we bring power. We bring the power of the Holy Spirit and authority over sickness, death, and the demonic. Do we release that? Have we created a context for that? And then he says, then tell them about the kingdom. Tell them about why this power is touching and changing their lives. Tell them why they're feeling something because of the reality of the God and his kingdom is embracing already them. We don't bring him, we discover him there. I would suggest. So in practice, what might this look like? You know, I'm kind of a practical guy. I want to really help us be successful in this. Spend time with people. Develop a habit of being with. I think Jesus did this intentionally. And he did it sometimes with people who were particularly he was friends with and he felt safe with. But other times he, he was with, whether it was religious leaders, synagogue rulers, tax people, uh, prostitutes, whomever. The power of being with. This is the heart of the incarnation God leaving heaven to be with us upon earth. And that's the model, I would suggest. But are we taking time to simply be with people? We don't have to have solutions for them. We don't have to be good enough for them. We don't have to be able to grade a conversation. We just have to learn to take interest and be available. Second, arrange sometimes for private meetings. It's sometimes good to meet in groups. Sometimes good to meet in larger groups. It's sometimes good to hang out with your family. But our children need time individually with mom or dad. People need time individually. There's a, there's, a, there's a precious and I think almost holy space that gets created in the midst of that sort of closeness of, of knowing. Something else? Enter their worlds. Don't just take things on face value. Press in a little bit. You seem upset. When you say that, what do you mean by that? Why do you enjoy doing that so much? Tell me more. You seem really excited about this going on. I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Tell me. It's simple things, but these are the things that communicate. I'm there and I care and I want to know if I have time. And I capacity within. You see, am I a person of peace and um, can I be that non-anxious presence or am I so agitated that I've got no capacity to simply be attentive to you and with you? One more, I think. Listen more and speak 
less. I often encounter this. And, and it's simply this fact that we like to talk more than listen. Many of us. We want you to know about us more than we want to know about you. We want to tell you what's going on in our life because nobody else is available and all of a sudden I've got somebody, so I'll do it. And sometimes we're fearful if I, if I don't get it out there, you won't ask me. So I'm going to put it out there anyway. <laughs> but that's rooted in fear rather than trust. And most of us don't like it. So, two ears, one mouth, remember the old adage? Let's listen twice as much as we speak and be respectful of others. Pause for a moment. Who entered your world when you were growing up? Who was somebody who took interest in you uniquely? Who had an impact upon you? It's good to reflect somehow, sometimes, of what it felt like to have somebody like that in our lives. Particularly when we're struggling to discover who we are and what life's all about and the big questions of life. You know, I, I couldn't necessarily say I had a lot of people like that. Didn't really have grandparents who I spent a lot of time with who got, who got to know me. My parents didn't really. You know, we, we kind of did some things as a group. Um, but when I was about 16, there was a, a guy called Will Pratt. He was a bookie, bookmaker. But he, he taught me how to play squash. And he devoted so much time to helping me learn a sport that I was quite excited to learn and encouraged me and uh, took me to matches. And for the first time, I experienced from an older man a sense of closeness that, uh, that created some, a desire in me. <laughs> and that was impactful. How about you? Is there somebody in your life? <coughs> you know, I love to get you to talk to one another, don't you? And I know you don't really like it an awful lot. But nevertheless, let's take a risk. Why don't you just take a brief moment and share with the person next to you, is there some, was there somebody? And, and who were they? And how did they impact you? And, and if, if you can't think of anyone, don't feel bad about that. Um, but in a sense, it's a reinforcement to can I become more of that kind of person to somebody else? Was there somebody in your life who took a special interest in you, encouraged you, listened to you, was there for you when you needed it? And what was that like? All right, take a risk and share with someone. <coughs> Make it fairly brief. We'll just take a minute or two. Okay, just a few moments more, so be kind of drawing those conversations to a close. You know, once I get you started, there's no stopping you. Okay, let's see if I can get you back. So the opposite of, of uh, you know, being a person on mission, sent out to, to give attention, to enter people's world, would be neglect. Nobody ever does call. Nobody writes. Nobody invites me out. Um, sorry, I'm saying that one with somebody who really appreciates when people do that for me. Um, because we are a little more fine-tuned to the absence of the need being met. 
But that would be the opposite, that I keep myself to myself, I don't initiate. <clears throat> got a friend of mine in Chicago who's devoted his life to discipling younger men, living with them, initiating loving relationship. He said his experience would be it would take about a year of constantly giving to a younger person before they would initiate giving back. This is how broken we can become and how shame-filled and feeling that people wouldn't want to receive anyway, so why would I bother? Why would I call somebody? They probably wouldn't want to hang out with me anyway. You know, all of these lies that if we stay in them will keep us from the mission and purposes of God, which is why we've got to pay attention to these things, talk about these things, own the struggle and ask the Lord to bring his light and truth to bear to set us free so that we would love and give and see the fruit of the Spirit. You can read about that in Galatians 5. We don't have time for that. So, attention, the opposite neglect. The other one I'm looking at, slightly more briefly, is appreciation. Thanksgiving, praise and thanksgiving. Now, the Scriptures are replete with the call to give thanks in all circumstances we read, didn't we? In our passage in First uh, Thessalonians. Um, and even in the context of struggle and difficulty, especially, Paul would want to say, there's something powerful when our focus becomes one of appreciation for what we have than a focus on what we're missing. The opposite of appreciation, I would suggest, is criticism. And we find that easier. You know, for most people to receive critical feedback well, and from time to time we need that, we need about six positive affirmations. That's how broken we are. To realize this person has my best interest in mind, um, notices the efforts I'm making, and it's worth listening to. I wish I'd had more of that ratio with my children when they were growing up. Sometimes we've got this skewed thinking that if I tell people what's wrong with them and the things that they're doing, they'll get better. Who thrives on that? It's faulty thinking. And sometimes we think, well, if I appreciate where they're at now, they'll stop trying, and I need them to improve and get better. Who thinks like that? Come on. You do. You do. We thrive on grace, which is getting what we need, not what we deserve. That's the nature of God. And that's why we should be thankful for Him. That's why the heart of the Christian worship is the Eucharist. It's thanksgiving for a God who we can never outgive. But remember, the pattern is to replicate that through our own giving, but also our own appreciation. To express thanks, praise, commendations for efforts as well as results. And when we talk about appreciation, we're specifically thinking about the things that people do and to be wary of how easy it is to be critical and negative and yet how unhelpful that is most of the time. Lord, help us in this. And it comes from actually our receiving more, our recognizing how much we've been given. That's why I love this quote I put on the front uh, from Bonhoeffer. Some of you may be familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer a German theologian hanged by the Nazis two, two weeks or so before the end of the Second World War. In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give, and it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. Gratitude 
the old attitude of gratitude. The focus on the positive actually changes us. It reorients us. It's why we're told when we're anxious and afraid to give thanks. But Lord, that's, that's, that's Philippians 4. But with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God. You see, we've got to, we've got to do some work in these brains of ours. As well as, you know, learning to take, take thoughts captive, expose lies, we've got to actually practice thanksgiving and orient our minds towards how much we've been given by God but also by people because we all thrive on recognition and when we do the work of appreciation for what people do and it's far easier to then to have perhaps the more challenging conversation around the things that also need to be addressed and have honest accountable conversation this seems such a straightforward thing but it is, it is really complex and hard for us at times but it is so important and, and I think it's important for us as a community because there's been a lot of the other stuff let's be honest and it often comes from our pain you know we're, we're critical and judgmental because actually we're hurting and we're disoriented and we're anxious but you see it's a it's a flesh reaction. It's, a, it's about us rather than others. Because what we're, we're giving people isn't beneficial to them. It's something we're trying to get some feel good for ourselves, if we're honest. I want to just say a couple of words of my appreciation for the eldership in this church. And, and I want to particularly pick out Lynn and Tish. Uh, and it's not just them, because Bill's been a part of this. And I cannot tell you the tremendous amount of work that they do day in, day out. You know, just this last week I spent time with, with Tish and earlier on with Lynn, uh, with people in this congregation and others, loving on them, trying to help them, encourage them. The administration they do, uh, the things that you would have no idea about in order that this would function as an organization. Tremendous amount of work. And I just applaud them. It has made my transition and becoming a part of this so much easier and uh, enjoyable. And I felt supported, which is actually one of my other important needs. <laughs> we'll get to down the road a little bit. Uh, so I want to thank you two uh, for how much you do for this congregation. And we often feel this, but we don't always say it. Intimacy is uncomfortable for many of us. To look somebody in the eye and tell them what we think about them in a good way <laughs> and how much we appreciate them and love them feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? But boy, does it feel great to receive that. You see, we admire vulnerability in other people, but we hate it for ourselves. And we've got to get better at it. What's inside of us, however good it is, if it's not expressed, it has no power to make a difference. If the word had stayed in heaven and not been expressed through the incarnate Jesus of Nazareth, we would not have known. And it's true with what's in you, I would suggest, of what the Spirit has put in you and the longings and the desires and the love towards others. Get better at expressing it because then it has power to change. And don't believe the lies that it's 
what you've got to say doesn't make a difference. Mm -mm. Realize the needs that are there in people and how God has put you in a place to meet some of that need. And what a difference that will make when this is our focus as a community. I don't, I don't know the video clip. We ain't got time for it. So we'll skip that one. So we'll just jump to a couple of practical things and then we'll pray and close. Well, I've said that. Make it a point to praise people verbally. This is my hope. And, and I'm not just talking about people you're sitting with now. I'm talking about in your homes. That's the starting point. Um, I see some younger faces. When kids thank their parents, once the parents have picked themselves up off the floor and uh, reseated themselves through the shock of all of that, <laughs> but it is incredibly impactful. When, when your kids get to my kids' age, they start to come around and do more of that. It is wonderful. And they do it because they're in a place of raising kids who don't do it. And they realize the sacrifice is made. <laughs> so let's express it in our families, to our spouses. Let's express it at work. Let's be a thankful people. Thankful people are good to be around because they're generally happier. And actually, there are chemicals released in your brain that are good for you when you express appreciation. There's science behind giving thanks. And it is far more powerful when you go from just feeling it to expressing it. Focus on the things people do right, not just on the things they do wrong. Remember that ratio. Am I taking the trouble to express appreciation for the good and the efforts made? And there's good in all of us. You can find it if you look hard enough. And you don't have the right, I would suggest, to do the other until you've done some of that. Because it won't land anyway. If you really want to help. I think there's a third one. Yeah, some people like to receive this in terms of tangible things. Uh, and a friend of mine I know, she has kept every single note, card, that people have written towards her expressing some form of appreciation for what she's done. And it is so impactful to her. Every now and again she'll, she'll go through and, and read that stuff. I'm not particularly a card kind of person, but some people are. In fact, my mother, every birthday, anniversary, Christmas, will tell me exactly how many cards. She, in fact, she's written it in a book since she was 18 years of age. I don't understand that. But for her, it's important. And I would want to celebrate that. And this is the power of the challenges of appreciation. Can I celebrate things with people that's important to them, even though I don't feel it? Because it's not that important to me. But it's not about you. If we're able to do this. But it's going to come out of, again, are we worshipping the real God? Are we living in a place of appreciation and thanksgiving for how much we have been given? And can we become a people who express thanksgiving to one another? And then when necessary, in the context of safe, secure relationships, where there's a mutual commitment to growth, can we be willing to risk giving feedback that will help in that growth because it's safe? And it's direct. It's not indirect. I'll come on to that last bit more when we look at respect down the road. But uh, this, is, this is my hope for us as a community, as families within this community. Uh, the difference we can make when we live like this, on mission, recognizing we've been called and equipped and sent and empowered. And we go as those who have received so much and therefore have so much to give. And we don't have to strive for anything. 
And we certainly don't have to put other people down. In fact, our job is to raise them up by God's grace. Let's stand and let's uh, express, remember my little uh, confession of love uh, for a little while, how we want to grow in love as we realize how much we are loved by this God we worship. And if somebody could be telling the children that it's time to come back, let's share in these words together. We love because God first loved us and poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We love because Christ accepted us in order to bring praise to God. We love because, like Paul, we have experienced the affection of Christ Jesus. We love because the Virgin conceived and gave birth to a son called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We love because we are invited to be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Lord, we give you great thanks. Cause us to be a thankful people. So thankful to you that our lives would be lives of uh, acceptable worship, of reverence, of awe. And when we express our appreciation to one another, recognizing that we're doing it to you, Whatever you do for the very least of these, Jesus said, you do it unto me. You are so much a part of the people around us that we can hardly bear it and notice it. But you are nonetheless because you're Emmanuel, God, with us. And so, Lord, may we, uh, may we be those who would have courage to express gratitude and thanksgiving. Build these relationships. Build us as a community. Make this a place where God is known as the God of love because what people experience from us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's be seated. And Lynn's going to come.